I am sure that many of you join me in utter amazement at the wisdom of our scientists. Another space shuttle has been launched recently. Men will be walking in space, learning how to repair those crafts and conducting other experiments. It is mind-boggling to think of the computer and what it can do with information, storing it, charting it, analyzing it, transmitting it. We also stand in awe of those who are making artificial organs now for the human body. As research goes on, we look for the day when there will be a substitute heart to prolong productive living. Yet, I say to you that the resurrection of Jesus Christ really makes the difference. For when all of these other things are accomplished, we will still come back to our old way of living, a life of self-interest that provokes the tensions of our time, that creates the alienation that exists between men and nations, that breaks down our commitments and our homes, and that overbalances those good things that we would hope to achieve. We return to the old world of humanness. And if we could just do something about the human being, Easter makes that difference. It does something that others have never been able to achieve and never will. Look with me at the difference today. The center of all of our thinking, of course, is this very critical area of life and death. As an old Eastern philosopher put it, the many spokes of a cartwheel and the rim to which they are attached would be useless but for the hole at the center where the axle turns. We have all discovered, I think, that somehow we need in our lives that center, that place to stand. We need a place for the fulcrum by which we can move our world. And I am suggesting that that is what was given to us on Easter morning. The Easter event was simplicity itself. On Friday, you recall, Jesus was crucified. Joseph of Arimathea came and asked Pilate for his body, took it off the cross, wrapped it in linen cloths, and put it in his partially completed tomb. He sealed it with a monstrous stone. Then the Jewish authorities requested that Pilate make certain that no one would rob the body. So they posted a guard, and Pilate's signet ring of authority was stamped upon the stone. No one could touch it upon the penalty of death. Sometime before daybreak on Sunday morning, the person who was buried came to life. Jesus laid aside his clothes, wrapped up the napkins from his head, and put them neatly on the ledge. Then he left the tomb. There was a great earthquake, and the stone was rolled away. The soldiers became frightened, went back into the city, and told their authorities that something had happened 
the body had gone. Not long afterwards, some women came to anoint the body and complete the embalming process, which was not completed due to the beginning of the Sabbath at sundown on Friday. It was the mother of Jesus and Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out the seven demons and other women who came. When they arrived at the tomb, they discovered that the stone was already rolled away and that someone in brilliant raiment was sitting at the opening of the grave. He invited them to come in and to look and to see that Jesus was no longer there. He announced to them that Christ had risen as he had predicted and that they should tell the disciples to meet him in northern Galilee. In their excitement, they hastened back to the city to tell the disciples. But Mary Magdalene lingered when Jesus appeared to her. She first mistook him as the gardener. And realizing who he was, she grasped his legs and not wanting to let him go, worshipped him as her risen Lord. Sometime later, Peter and John came running. Peter looked, was puzzled, and went back to tell the other disciples. But John remained at the tomb for a time, pondering the predictions of Jesus and the facts of Easter morning. He caught a little glimmering of the truth of what had happened that day. And that night, when all the disciples were in an upper room, Jesus appeared to them. They did not understand the implications of all of this until some time later, but they knew that something had transpired. Something had happened to the person who now showed them his hands and his side where he bore the mark of the nails and the spear. It was the same person, risen. Not in a natural state, but with a new quality of life. And as the Spirit was poured out on Pentecost and the church began to grow, the disciples began to pray and to be led by the Spirit of God. They were enabled to piece the facts together and to grasp the implication for their lives. Now, I want to do that with you as we consider how this very simple fact of the resurrection really is the hinge on which the world ought to turn. As a Christian person, certainly your world turns on it. The first thing that we notice, which is so unique about Easter, is that it gives a new permanency to life. That is to say, we learn that death itself has died. One thing about this existential age is that it has brought out our honesty. We have questioned everything. We have looked death squarely in the face, as has not been done in previous centuries. People always ran from the thought of death. We have looked at it ourselves. George Bernard Shaw said, The statistics are always the same. One out of one dies. 100%. No exceptions. The facts are there. As we talk together about death, we discover that it is for everyone. 
And that when you talk about life, you must also talk about death. Heidegger has said that life and death are really one and the same. By definition, you cannot separate them. The logical conclusion happened a few years back. The secularists said that the God who lives is the God who is now dead. For they joined life with death even in the being and the person of the Creator Himself. We who are Christians say, all that is wrong. Death is not part of life. It was never meant to be a part of life. God did not make it that way. And we do not want it that way. Man has always feared it. Death is an enemy, an imposter, a threat. And through the years, men have tried to avoid death or explain it away. Somehow we felt that if the human being could ever learn about death, if he could ever understand it, if he could ever conquer it, a whole new day would dawn. And so it did. So it did. On that first Easter morn. Death did its worst. But Christ was stronger. When death finally took him in its grip, he refused to submit. He came back again. He came back to say, your arithmetic is wrong. One out of one does not die. But now in Christ, rather as in Adam the one, all have died. In Christ the one, all are now made alive. One has died that all may live. That is the new arithmetic of the New Testament. Paul dramatically states that on one occasion, Jesus, coming from the grave, led death itself captive. He took death in his own hands and defeated it so that you and I can have a different perspective of it and can live in a different context. The context is not of death and life joined, but now of life with a quality of eternality which goes on and on. We're not talking about immortality. That is the belief that somehow we will continue to exist in some massive life state. We're talking about eternal life or the quality of endless individuality. We look forward to the day when we will be relieved of the problems that we confront today. One day we will be in a new heaven and new earth where there is righteousness and justice and love and peace. Christ in his resurrection promises that to you and to me. It was not just for him. He did not die and rise for himself. There was no reason for him to die in the first place. But he took upon himself that human nature to be one of us and in our stead to do what had to be done. And now he comes back to assure us that death is defeated. And so we part. We leave this life. We go on to the next dimension of living. And death becomes 
a transitional place from this brief vestibule of time in which we live to that grand eternity which is yet to come. The sting and the threat of it is gone now. Elton Trueblood in his Reflections Upon Death has said, I believe that the recognition of individuals will be part of the world to come. I will know you and you will know me. We will know Jesus and we will all be there as many as participate in his resurrection. How can this be, you ask? Paul asks the question in 1 Corinthians 15. What kind of body? How will these things come to pass? Whitehead of Harvard says, how do you explain human spirituality on the basis of physical conception and a physical universe? We do not know, but we know that it exists. And in like manner, Paul exclaims, brothers, we are the children of God, but it does not yet appear what we will be like. That permanence of life, my friends, is the gift of Easter. Along with that comes a totally new orientation to life. What a difference that makes when you think of life in terms of eternity and not of death. How different your patience is, your concern for fellow human beings on the same or a similar pilgrimage as you are on. What it means is that your commitments here may be very costly, for it costs to love. What a change in marriage relationships, employer-employee relationships, international relationships. What a change in the attitude you have for one another when you see the other through the eyes of the risen Lord. What people are striving to find today is a change in human nature, more than a change in the manipulation of the atoms and the particles that constitute our physical world, marvelous as they are. If we could just lay our hands on it and get hold of those things that would make us more godly. But here it is. Here it now is. There is a parable of our time in Panero's play, The Second Mrs. Tanqueray. Paula, as you may recall, was a very beautiful woman. She attracted many men. She lived a very fast life. Things happened. Men came and men left and were rearranged in her life. And one day, she met the perfect man. He thought he had found the perfect woman. And deeply in love, they did not want the past to mar their future. So they sat down together to figure out what they would need to do to ensure the solidarity of their lives and the trustworthiness of their commitments. They talked together about the possibilities. Previous sweethearts and lovers perhaps coming on the scene or nasty gossip being framed against them. And when they had thought they had sorted it all out, and were sure they could handle it, they went about the business of living publicly as committed persons. Then, 
things began to happen. Paula discovered that all she had really done with her lover was to rearrange the same old furniture in the same old house. Although she looked at it from a different perspective, nonetheless, she was the same. He was the same. And their relationship was the same. The time came when she was tired of living and decided to just end it all. And just before she committed suicide, the key line of the play is spoken. Tomorrow is but yesterday entered by another door. Is that all there is? Is that all it is? I suppose if we have to do the arranging, if we are the ones to do all the arranging, that is all it will be. Nothing but the rearrangement of things without deep and lasting change. We will still look at life as being part of a transition of birth, the passage of time, death, and nothingness. But I suggest to you that in Jesus Christ, there is a far different perspective. There is now possible a whole different orientation. The hub of the wheel has been renewed and replaced, and our life now gravitates around someone who has lived amongst us and who has forgiven us and sent us his spirit to live within us. And therefore, has bequeathed to us a whole new resource for living in this world. His presence, His presence within us. When He is in your life, it is different than just having a philosophy about life. We are not talking about that. I suppose like Frank Morrison who wrote Who Moved the Stone, we could begin as skeptics, and finish as believers, at least in the historic fact of the resurrection. But this is not what I am talking about. Paul would understand because he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15 to the people of that church. He said, look, I knew all the facts of the resurrection. I held the clothes of those who stoned Stephen, a a businessman, whose life was so changed that he believed in the risen Lord that he was willing to die for it. Paul knew that. Paul knew that. And the testimony of those who believed and the historic facts of the resurrection were all on the table. But still, still, Paul could not grasp it until one day Jesus Christ entered his life. Then the living Lord who walks among us and talks with us and leads and guides us is the one who transforms us. Those things that we comprehend with our mind then become transformed into things that we live. The difference that Easter can make in your life is that Christ can be with you and in you. He freely gives himself to all who will give themselves to him. It's not the old furniture being rearranged. It is something new. 
our resentments and our hatred are changed to his concern of love and charity. Our egocentric ways suddenly become stewardship for the good and the welfare of others who have greater needs than we do or who cannot satisfy their own needs. The power by which we rule with him in life is not a power to exploit. It becomes the power of servanthood. Indeed, his ways defy the ways of man. For in the resurrection, we discover that love wins, faith excels, and the truth of God is forever on the throne. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue, every mouth will confess this. We had a president some years ago who went through many a war, who led the invasion on D-Day, and who finally, when he was in the White House, was baptized. This is what he said. I will ever be grateful for being blessed with a wonderful mother, for it was she who said to me, Now, Ike, be confident that if you look to Jesus, he will see you through. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Well, it is the simplest of things in the world which produce the most profound impact on a human being and his relationships with himself, with others, and with God. Easter, my friends, makes all the difference. It signals the death of death, the permanency of life, and a new orientation of life whereby we gain new resources for this life. So, may you, may you have a joyous and a blessed Easter. Let us pray. Good and glorious God, send us forth now to live in the power of Easter. May thy work and word prosper in our lives and strengthen us for the mission thou hast entrusted to thy church in every age. Through Christ, our risen Lord, we pray. Amen.